As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome back to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am your host, Josh G, and today I am joined by Miles Long of the Laughs and Rec podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and take a minute and tell everyone what your show is about. Sure. So, so the Laps and Rec podcast was a project I started uh, during the lockdown. Uh, I was going a little stir crazy. It was not a lot of options and it was pretty bleak out there. So I decided to start doing podcasting mostly for selfish reasons. I just needed an outlet, but uh, I started picking up the podcast. And when I had the idea for it, I didn't like the idea of being boxed into a single subject, you know, like doing a true crime podcast and that's all you do or doing a, a, you know, book or a movie podcast. That's all you do. I wanted to do all the things. So that's basically the theme of, of the Laps and Rec podcast. It's kind of whatever I want to do at any given time. Um, so the way it's, it's structured is it's typically four topics and the topics uh, for the most part have been randomized as people have given me more feedback about the show, about the things they like, things they don't like. I found more of a solid structure where every episode we uh, do an article in the beginning or a few articles, something from the news that's going on in the world or just something that's funny to talk about. Uh, and then we move into some variety topics. Uh, right now, we're making our way towards the end of the uh, Onision book review that I am just just tearing it apart. It's terribly written. And I don't even like the guy, so I don't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> like I really tear into it. Uh, we also do things like I've made fun of Steven Seagal. I'm a lifelong martial artist. And so there's a lot of reasons I don't, <laughs> I don't like Steven Seagal. So I had a, a our tirade about how bad Steven Seagal is. Uh, but we also do a lot of other stuff, including uh, movie reviews. We talk about, I did a food testing one time. Uh, yeah, just pretty much whatever pops into my mind. Sometimes it's just a topic I want to rant about, or sometimes it's a little bit more of a structured segment. And every episode always ends with uh, some kind of game. I really enjoy the games that make you think and that you have to be quick-witted and you kind of have to be good at talking. So there's a lot of that. Uh, especially when I bring on a guest, we always play some sort of game where it's like storytelling or being jokey. Like we do, uh, I, I played Hear Me Out with one of my guests. That was a, a Chevy P. Basically an impromptu speaking game where you're given a topic, you got to speak on it for three minutes. And sometimes it's like, explain how a plane works. <laughs> and then sometimes it's more like uh, you get pulled over by a cop, talk your way out of, out of a ticket, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot of curveballs, but it's always a lot of fun. Um, and recently I've also started doing, uh, it's, it's become a hybrid podcast where I've been doing audio only, uh, but starting this month, actually on the 28th, we're also going to start doing live streams. Uh, so every week there's video and audio only content. Um, and it's in the streaming stuff is going to be a lot of the same. Uh, we're starting off this week. I'm having a, a guest on. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Samantha from the Random Acts of Self podcast. She is uh, finishing her master's degree in psychology. And the reason I'm having her on is we're going to talk about uh, pickup artistry, like as an industry and all the things they tell people like, oh, this is the psychology of how to pick up women, but it's all, it's all pseudoscientific bullshit. So, <laughs> uh, and then going forward, it'll be like Thursdays, it'll be deep dives and Tuesdays or variety days where we spin the wheel and just talk about whatever happens or whatever comes up on the wheel rather. But uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much everything about my show. Uh, it's, it's 
simple, but there's a lot to it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've been doing it for about six months and so far it's going really well. People have been uh, very positive, a lot of good feedback, a lot of really good fans. So I've, I've been really enjoying it. All right, man. That sounds awesome. So let's get into it. You went with what I was surprised to see. So I was glad when I saw this. I was like, <laughs> oh yes, I want to talk about this because not a lot of people are going to put Rob Zombie's 2007 remake of Halloween at the top. Tonight's brutal murders was described by police as Manson-like in its viciousness. Three people brutally murdered and a 10-year-old boy being held in custody. You haven't said a word for 15 years. This summer, Rob Zombie unleashes a unique vision of a legendary tale. Listen, be careful in the night. A lot of nutcases come out on Halloween. Boogeyman real? Why are you so obsessed with the Boogeyman, Tommy? Halloween night, the Boogeyman attacks kids you don't believe. Oh no, Tommy! Boogeyman's gonna get me! I'm gonna cut that mask right off your face. He's come back for his baby sister. To do what? When did you first see this movie? Oh man, when did I first see this movie? It was a while ago. See, this was probably around middle school or high school for me because that's about when this came out. Like 2007, I was in seventh grade, I think. Uh, and then a few years after that is probably when I saw it. Um, but I, whenever I was in middle school and high school, I had a group of friends and our thing was to get together, go to a, one of my friends' house, go into the garage and just watch terrible movies, like terrible horror movies, B quality, slashers, you know, possession movies, all that shit. We love it. It was great. <laughs> and um, So before this movie came out, I actually saw the John Carpenter original from 1978. And that was probably one of the first horror movies period I was ever introduced to. So I really enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was probably... At first, one of my favorite movies. And then as I started to watch more and more uh, and, you know, kind of broaden my horizons in terms of 80s movies, I did like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street better. But because I'd seen the John Carpenter movie, that's why the Rob Zombie remake, when I saw it a few years later, it, it hit me so hard because it, it's it's the same, but it hits different. You know, <laughs> like it's Rob Zombie's vision of Carpenter's work. And it's it's great. Right. And that, that's a good that brings me to the next point. I want you to give a synopsis of zombies because it is a little different, at least the first mm -hmm. half. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll start with the, uh, the commonalities that both films have, cause they do sort of follow the same storyline. And then I'll talk about some of the differences because the differences are really what made me like Rob Zombie's version better than the John Carpenter version. Uh, that's, that's when I had started to notice what he did differently. I was like, Oh, this movie's awesome. And that's, that's really when it became my favorite. Um, so the general plot of, of both movies and just generally the Michael Myers franchises uh, you know Michael Myers is a, a disturbed kid and he murders his sister I um, mean the original it's his sister but in Rob Zombie remake it's actually both his sister his father and her boyfriend all in one night um, and it happens to fall on Halloween night and one of the big themes throughout this uh, this movie this franchise series is he likes to wear masks and it's sort of this like it's it's kind of like a, a symbol of his sociopathy, right? He's a he's a sociopath, and when he puts the mask on, he's able to do these horrible inhuman things to people. And so you kind of see this happen throughout the series. Um, so anyway, he murders his family, and then he gets committed to a mental institution under the care of a, a Dr. Loomis. And Dr. Loomis studies and treats him for about 17 years um, until one night uh, Michael just decides to break out of the asylum. And it happens to be a few days before Halloween. So he has time to, to get back to his hometown, which is ultimately where he returns to. And on Halloween night, he goes on another giant murder spree, basically. Um, and the, the point, the other key character in this plot is Laurie Strode. So Laurie Strode is a high schooler who lives in the town that Michael used to, to live in as a child. And she kind of gets caught up in Michael's murder spree uh, as he first targets her friends specifically. And as he picks them off, he goes after her next because she's just kind of caught in the path of his of his murder spree. And she does her best to stop him. And, and ultimately, the movie culminates into a showdown between Dr. Uh, Dr. Loomis, Laurie Strode and, and Michael Myers, where, you know, Michael Myers gets shot and he falls out of a two story window. And, you know, of course, he survives so that there will be a sequel. Um, but yeah, those are just the general plot points and being real broad brush here. Like right, there's, right. there's a no, lot of leaving out, but <laughs> okay, perfect. I like perfect. to leave it. Like I, I'm trying to get people to come watch this movie, not necessarily go everything into it. Sure. But yeah, cool. Some of those details about why you like Rob Zombie's version. Sure. So okay, so some of the the key details that I thought just made it a, a way better movie. The first one is the remake really fleshed out the origin story of Michael Myers. You see in the original, it's basically you just, you kind of have this scene where Michael Myers murders his sister and then his parents show up and they go, why'd you do that? And now that's all you get. And then it fast forwards to he's an adult and, you know, he breaks out and he starts killing people. So there's really never a good explanation for why he does the things he does. But it was the 70s. So the, the conventions of the time for making movies, especially horror movies, they didn't really need motivation for a killer to do things, right? They would just go, he has mental problems. And that was just kind of the panacea through which, you know, all the explanations were filtered. But with Rob Zombie's remake, he really kind of touches on that and, and showcases how Michael Myers descends into becoming a sociopath and, and descending into his own sort of brand of madness. Um, it also helps to explain his feelings towards his mother and Laurie Strode, who in Rob Zombie's remake turns out to be his sister. Um, in the original, they don't really talk about it until the sequel. So right. it is a thing, but it's not in the first movie. It's not a thing. Um, it also explains why Michael Myers, uh, his mom is dead once he reaches adulthood, because in, in the first one, they just kind of say, oh, yeah, she died and she had a kid. 
but that's all you get. <laughs> but but in, the, in the Rob Zombie remake, you actually watch her watch her son just murder people and become a, a deranged person who's just willing to kill at the drop of a hat and she can't handle it. And, and she ends up taking her life. And it's, it's a far more powerful story than, oh yeah, she died, you know, <laughs> just on the phone, basically. Um, I also liked it was a much grittier and a, a darker retelling of it. Because uh, I feel like Rob Zombie in that in that picture, you know, I, I hate to try to impose what I think the artist was trying to convey through his art. But for me, when I watched it, I got the impression that part of this was the idea that um, humanity is a bit of a horror show. So he wanted to accentuate all the darkest parts of humanity. And Michael Myers, by comparison, is worse, but he's not that much worse. <laughs> like some of the people he puts in that movie, you're like, God damn, this, this person's super shitty. You don't even feel bad when he kills them. I also like the the casting choices. So Nick Castle was the original Michael Myers. And it's so funny. I, I watched both in preparation for this. I watched the original and then I watched uh, the, the, the first or the remake with Rob Zombie. And <laughs> when you see Nick Castle, he's just, he's like a thin little skinny tall guy. Like he doesn't, he doesn't look very imposing. Like there's this scene where he grabs a kid and you can see his arms are like little, little stick arms. He's <laughs> just, I don't know. It's just, it's just not a whole lot intimidating about him. It's more like, oh, hey, there's, there's Nick. Yeah. He wears a mask and comes and harasses children on the weekends. It's just this thing. Versus the 2007 remake, they cast uh, Tyler Mann, who's a big, beefy dude. He's like 6'9", somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 pounds. Like, holy crap. That guy, very intimidating. And he fit the role really well. Um, of course, he, you know, don't have to have a lot of acting skills for Michael Myers because he's wearing a mask and he doesn't talk. So, But I think he did a good job. I think he did a good job. So, so going to casting, how do you feel about young Michael Myers then? It was, it was a good choice. There's just things about him I didn't necessarily like. Let's see. In that particular casting choice, which the, towards the end, we'll talk about who I would rather have had take that role. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The actor they picked, it was, it was more like he was pretending to be a sociopath the whole time. Because what's interesting about the Rob Zombie remake is in the original, he wears the mask the whole time. You, you really don't see him without it. But as you're watching Michael Myers progress through his childhood while, you know, in an institution, there's times where he takes his mask on and off. And it's supposed to signify like, you know, when the mask is off, that's the normal, happy, fun kid. And then he puts the mask back on. That's when he's a sociopath. And when he was taking the mask off, I mean, he felt normal-ish. Normal. I don't know. <laughs> it was like, I was sort of convinced by his performance, but not a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like, I felt okay. like he was, he was, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of hard to put into words. It's just that quality of, of what makes a good actor uh, convincing on film, you know? I just feel like he didn't have it for that role. And when he put the mask on, I think he did pretty well, you know? Mm -hmm. I, think he, I think he did the whole, like, I'm silent, I'm not going to talk to people, and I'm going to just be a, a sociopath. Yeah. That part I think he did okay with, but you don't have to have a lot of acting range to, to nail that one down, you know? Well, but, let me ask you how you feel about this. Is there yeah. any way in the world that little kid grows to be Tyler Maine? Yeah, no, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> that's a real good point. I mean, like the hair, you could tell they, they worked on his hair to get it long like the kids was. Right. And they, they kept up the facial uh, facial stuff to make sure he didn't grow beard because normally he keeps a pretty decent beard going. They had him shaved down so he'd look more like the kid. But yeah, no, that, that's a good point. That little thing grows up to be <laughs> like a monster. Yeah, no, that's, that's so, kind of a tough pill to swallow. 
I'll, I'll give you my hot take on at least that first part of the story. Are you familiar with Rob Zombie's other work, like House of Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects? I have seen Devil's Rejects. I haven't seen House of a Thousand Corpses, and I saw one other movie. I think it was uh, uh, Super Beast. Oh, like The Haunted World of El Super Beasto? Yeah, that's the, the one. animated yeah, movie. It's, yeah, it's been a long time, but yeah, yeah. Well, before The Devil's Rejects was House of a Thousand Corpses, but they both have the Firefly clan. So you know Otis Driftwood from Devil's Rejects. Yeah. I like to think of this Michael Myers as his origin story instead of Michael Myers' origin story. <laughs> right. Because he right. looks like he could actually grow to be that guy. There's no right. way I'm buying. Like, I have a friend who always says, when he first watched the remake, he was like, what the hell are they feeding him in that prison? To make him that big. Steroids. Everything had steroids in it. <laughs> they just shot it straight into the food. Jesus. That's a good point. Hey, so, obviously, you've talked about seeing the original Halloween we can't talk about all the sequels. So let's talk about Rob Zombie's sequel, H2. Sure. And ha- sure. What are your thoughts on this just a little bit? So it's interesting because the original sequel, it when I first saw it, I was a little bored with it because it essentially all happens in the hospital. You know, like Rob, Z- or, uh, pff, Rob Zombie, <laughs> Michael Myers, he, uh, you know, gets out of the ambulance. And then he's in the town for a second, just long enough to hear the radio broadcast to know Lori's been taken to the hospital. He's like, all right, I'm going to the hospital. And then he never really leaves the hospital. Like everything, everyone else is kind of doing stuff around the town in the scenes, but his murder spree is just the hospital staff and he's trying to get Lori, but he never quite gets her. Um, so, I mean, it, it felt kind of like, eh, it wasn't as interesting as the first one. Uh, Cause at least in the first one, there was more going on in terms of like, he was going here and doing this and doing that. So he, he was just more busy. The, the Rob Zombie remake. I liked that they paid kind of tribute to the second one, but then they did do that kind of expansion out into now Michael Myers does more stuff, you know? Um, yep. So in the other kind of interesting thing about it was he, he took a very different turn with it because in the first movie, there's sort of this allusion to, you know, Michael Myers sort of brand of madness as he loses his humanity. And that becomes the main focus of the second movie, right? They really kind of dig into that more than just Michael Myers as a slasher. So the, you know, you get the, you get the hospital scene in the first, you know, probably 20 minutes of the movie, and then they kind of cut away. And now you're looking at uh, you know, Lori trying to struggle with what happened to her. She's ha- having a lot of like dark psychological trauma that she's dealing with. She's she's going in like this downward spiral. Um, and then they they introduce the white horse motif and you see that throughout the movie. And that's a key point. And I, I kind of like that. And I don't like it for a number for for pretty much the same reason. Actually. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to get your <laughs> thoughts on the white horse. Right. That's so like, that's such a big thing in this movie, but it's I feel like if they had kept it going, this could have been, or if they even had just done it a little bit different in the sequel, um, this could have been a really, really interesting concept to really bring the whole thing together. Because in the original movie, again, you don't really have an an explanation for why he does what he does. You don't have an explanation for, well, when Michael Myers gets out of the asylum, how does he know what Laurie looks like? He's never seen her before. I mean, even in the Rob Zombie remake, he saw her as a baby, but he never saw her as like teenager Laurie. So how how would he pick her out? Um, And she was supposedly supposed to have like lived in a different town. It was just kind of a coincidence she ended up back there. But the, the white horse motif is sort of Rob Zombie's answer to that, I feel like, because it's 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 a couple of things for michael myers it's the guiding force for his sociopathy right whenever he sees the mom in the white horse she's always telling him he's got to kill people and he's like all right like if your mom's telling you to do something and he's got like a childhood brain he's gonna do it so you're like okay that makes sense and then for for laurie 
it comes in and out. It's not quite as clear as it is for Michael Myers, but it, it seems to be more of a symbol of her dysfunction and, and just, you know, her descent into madness alongside Michael. But it's also this kind of weird mind meld link that they share with each other, right? Because there's these scenes where she's experiencing what he's experiencing and vice versa. And then of course, you know, towards the end, you see they have this like shared delusion where they're seeing the same things that aren't really there, um, which as a plot concept would actually explain a lot. You know, if there was this sort of like psychological thing going on that was a little bit more, you know, mystic and esoteric, I just wish they had more explanation, you know, like in the uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films, when they were talking about like what happens as you lose sleep more and more and more and how your brain degrades, all they had to do is just like read a book and kind of like explain it from like, oh, we were at the library and this is what we learned. Like something like that would have been helpful to kind of explain what was going on with this mechanism and how it linked them together. It didn't even have to be like a strong explanation, just something for the watcher to go, oh, okay, I see what's happening here and I understand why it seems to work the way it works. And that would have been pretty cool to to kind of see that mechanic play out in a little bit of a different way. But if they kept the sequels going, it would have explained why he would have gone after her daughter and, you know, all the other people that he did. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So how do you feel, you know, Rob Zombie, have you heard Rob Zombie's response about the White Horse? Yeah, I saw an interview with him when he was talking about it. And he was like, I was reading through, um, what was it, like dream analysis stuff. And he was like, ah, it sounded like a bunch of bullshit, but this one sounded kind of cool. So I thought, hey, let's, let's, you know, put it in there. But yeah, I didn't see too much about it besides that, other than he kind of found it as an interesting thing because I think he was already thinking of taking this in the psychological direction so it was just a backdrop and he said it could have been anything if I'm recalling correct well I'm glad you heard that because what I've heard because I've read the taking shape book which has the making Mm -hmm. of like all of the movies oh interesting you know and at the beginning of Halloween 2 they put up the white horse and what it means like the angel of death and stuff like that but he'll say that people are looking too much into the white horse yeah and that it's the audience's fault and I'm like ah bullshit (laughs) Put it up at the beginning and you feature right. the hell out of this white horse. You can't right. <laughs> too much into it. Right. <laughs> so, that makes right. sense. Yeah. You talked about it. Let's get into it. You remaking a remake. You get to cast remaking. your own Halloween remake. 2007. You get to use your own cast. All right. You had some people in mind. Yeah. So typically with with horror movies it doesn't matter who you cast because they're like they're usually unknowns you got a big cast of unknowns some of them are good some of them are shit but really it's people aren't there for the acting they're there for the slashing they're there for the the crazy you know horror movie stuff um but i I thought about it and i I would like to have more of a star power cast if i were to recast this movie in the future you know so for for my picks there's only really what's that five people you need to have in a michael myers film everybody else is irrelevant um, you need to have a good Michael Myers. You need a Laurie Strode. You need a Dr. Loomis. You need Michael Myers' mom if you're doing more on the vein of the Rob Zombie remake rather than John Carpenter's original work. Um, and then, of course, you need a, a young Michael Myers. Uh, so let's start with the young Michael Myers since that one kind of came up. Um, I thought a better pick for a young Michael Myers would have been uh, Julian Dennison, uh, the kid who was in uh, uh, Deadpool 2, the, the little kid that he met in the oh, asylum. Okay. He's a little bit beefier. He's a little yeah. bit on the chunky side, but you could see that kid conceivably becoming a big dude, right? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and I think he also has a good kind of attitude for it because, like, when he was in Deadpool, that was kind of the story. He was a good kid, and then he got led astray, and he became a giant asshole. And if if that was allowed to keep happening, he was going to become a murderer. So yeah, there you go. It wouldn't be too different of a casting, but I think he could pull it off. Uh, the next one, uh, a good Michael Myers mom, I think, would be Jessica Lang. 
Um, I really like seeing her work. She does similar roles in like American Horror Story, Story, right? Where she she raises these kids and they're really fucked up and some of them turn out to be murderers and she loves them anyway. Yep. So like that's that's not a bad choice. I haven't thought about it like that, but I kind of like that. That's that's what she needs. Like that's that's what's required for this role. So I think I think she's got it. Um, now, okay, let's go to Laurie Strode first, because Dr. Loomis was, was a bit of a tie. But my Laurie Strode, and this is because like I'm, I'm kind of crushing on this chick a little bit, Mrs. Chloe Grace Mortez. I think she would do excellent in that role. I just like her as an actor in general, but she has a lot of like the, the conventionally attractive features that a Laurie Strode traditionally has. Yep. But I think she has a little bit more acting range than like, uh, what was her name? Scout, the one in the, the Rob Zombie yeah, remake. Scout Taylor Compton, yes. That, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I think she has a little more acting range than her. I don't know if she can be, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, but but we can't cast Jamie Lee Curtis anymore. She's she's a little bit out of the age range. So, so no, I think that would be a, a fun, fresh face to put into that role. And I think she could do a good job. I think she should really grow into it. Um, Dr. Loomis, this one I was a little bit split on because there, there are two actors I do want to want to put in this movie somehow. And at first I was trying to wrestle with who gets what role. Because well, you can always, I'll, I'll help you out by saying you okay. always have Sheriff Brackett. He's a pretty decent sized role in these movies. Oh, that's true. I didn't Annie, even Annie's, think of that. Yeah, yeah, Sheriff Brackett. So if you need to get two in, Sheriff Brackett's the other role to get one in. Okay, okay. Because one of these guys, I could actually see you being a, an interesting Sheriff Brackett. I well, there like you that. go. Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> so so Dr. Loomis, it was between uh, uh, Tom Hardy and James McAvoy. But I think James McAvoy would be a more interesting uh, Dr. Loomis, especially after his performance in Split, where he showed a lot of different personalities. And some of those personalities were like the very stuck up professional, like, oh, I'm an intellectual guy, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's kind of how Dr. Loomis start. But then as he deals with Michael, he kind of loses that professionalism and it becomes a weird obsession with this yeah. child and, and what he's becoming. And I think James McAvoy, with all his range, could could really do a good job illustrating that over time, right? As the character changes, I think he'd be he'd be one of the guys who would be able to change as the role progresses, and it still would look pretty good, I think, in, in terms of how the acting comes across. And that, I guess, I guess Tom Hardy would be a good uh, Sheriff Brackett. Like I could see Tom Hardy <laughs> doing a cop for sure. Like he's, yeah. a, he's a little bit more of a, a rough around the edges guy, you know? I could, yeah. yeah. I like that. As I was, I was gonna say maybe he could be a decent Michael Myers, just because I want to give him work. He's he's a good actor. I like seeing him in stuff, but I, I'd rather Sheriff Brackett. That way, he's not wearing the mask all the time. You can actually yeah. see him, and he can do some acting. And then, uh, yeah, just give Michael Myers to like I don't know. Uh, Taylor Mann's getting kind of up there. Who's another good one? Like maybe The Rock or something. Like he just needs to be big and beefy, you know, like a big, right. Doesn't need a lot of acting range, but I don't know. The Rock could could potentially do it. If Michael Duncan was still alive, I'd say Michael Duncan, but... Oh, yes. Yeah, he would do really yeah, good. That is an imposing <laughs> man right there. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the Rock, I don't think he he wouldn't be... A, Rock would feel like he'd have to have the mask off. He'd yeah. need to be seen. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think he'd, he'd do it. All right, so you got people still not really convinced to watch this movie. Give your final pitch on why they should watch the 2007 Rob Zombie Halloween. Okay, my, my final pitch here. Overall, 
the storytelling is really good because again, it, it helps you really understand why Michael Myers does the things he does as much as you can understand why a sociopath does anything at all, right? Like a sociopath to normal people is a complete mystery. They, they can, can just kill people and, you know, crush a bug and have the same emotional response. And that's very foreign to, to people who do have empathy, who do, you know, have sort of a working brain, but with the Rob Zombie remake, it shows, one specific portrayal of how someone could potentially fall into the, or rather become that over time with, you know, a perfect balance of nature and nurture, an abusive childhood home, and the, the brain chemistry is not quite right. And then, you know, a bunch of experiences happen and he gains a taste for the killing. Um, so the storytelling, I think, is really good. And it puts a lot more weight behind everything that happens going forward. I think it's a good balance between, you know, the the John Carpenter original in the 80s and kind of Rob Zombie's own vision of it. So if you enjoy movies like, you know, A Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, uh, he, his style of uh, filming and, and cinematography and storytelling definitely comes out in this. And it's, it's very interesting to see because he was, I remember him saying in an interview, having to do someone else's work kind of kind of fucked with him a little bit, but he did the best he could to have his own creative flair on it. Um, and I, th I think it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, personally, I, I think it's my favorite because I love horror movies. I love the the, the whole genre, all the conventions. And um, this is a pretty decent example of one that I saw early on. It just really stuck with me. So it's it's the nostalgia kick. And, you know, <laughs> like I just remember when I was that age watching that movie, how cool it was. And even as an adult, I can still watch it and, and remember back and be like, oh, yeah, this is this is a good movie. I like this. So it might not be the, the most amazing movie you've ever seen. But if you appreciate it for what it is, I think it's a decent. Movie. All right. I think that wraps it up nicely. Miles, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you online? Absolutely. Uh, I'm pretty much everywhere. That's that's the good part. You just got to look and I'll, I'll come up somewhere. Um, I'm most active on Twitter. You can follow me at Laps and Rec. Uh, that's also on my profile. There's a link to my link tree. You can find my podcast pretty much anywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Pandora as of this week, Stitcher, uh, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, you'll probably find me. There's very few platforms that I haven't uploaded my RSS feed onto. Um, as for my live stream content, that's going to be on Twitch. And Tuesdays, Thursdays around five to six o'clock, depending on if I'm having a guest or not, and they need to come on a little earlier. Um, that'll be weekly. So uh, Anchor is another good place if you're looking for the audio content. Um, yeah, I mean, every week there's going to be streaming content and audio content. So there's generally something for you every week. Uh, it'll be alternating between like full episodes, which typically range about hour and a half in, in shorter streams and then shorter audio episodes and longer streams. So, I mean, yeah, just uh, just come in and check it out. Join me in chat for the live streams and, and hit me up on my anchor or any of the other listening platforms to hear what the Laughs and Rec podcast is all about. All right. And as always, you can follow the show at YNF Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram, available wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to check back next week as I'll have a different guest with a different movie. And who knows, that may become your next favorite movie. You guys take care. I'll talk to you next time.